Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Thank you, worship team. So glad you are here to help us worship. Matthias, I'm so glad you are here. This is a different church when you show up. I'm just saying. Because it's like all of a sudden we're like, yes. Because Matthias gets us started. And thank you for the joy you bring. And for the rest of you, thank you for being here. And I want you to know that you too affect our church just like Matthias does. We wouldn't be the same without you. We're so glad you're here. So those of you who don't know me, my name is Toby Axelson. I'm trying to get my notes in order here. Um, My name is Toby Axelson. I am... um, one of the elders here at this church, and I just want to, yeah. I need a crosswalk over here. <clears throat> so I, I just want to thank you. Um, to be an elder in this church is a privilege. I just want to let you know. Um, it is evident to us in the eldership how much you guys love God. And it's evident how much God loves our church. So thank you. I just want to thank you for the privilege. So uh, <laughs> there's Matthias. Yay. So anyway, let me see if I can get this thing going. And that way the guy taking care of the pictures in the back and take a nap. Oh, no, no. What did I do? Oh, hang on. Oh, there we go. Okay. We're in business. So a couple of months ago, uh, Brian approached me and asked me if I wanted to teach in this Alive series and talking about spiritual disciplines, which... As he pointed out a couple weeks ago, we we don't really like the word discipline because it sounds like hard work and in some cases sounds like pain. Um, But spiritual discipline is very important. It's what brings us, it's things we can do that kind of aligns us with God and God's heart. So he approached me, asked me to teach the final part on on prayer. And uh, I thought he, he asked the wrong person in my family because between my daughters, my wife and I, I'm probably the least qualified to teach on prayer. Uh, They are much better prayer warriors than I am. But I have to admit, going through this and to study here in the last couple of weeks has really been a joy. I've learned all kinds of things that I'm hoping to share with you. Um, I am a big Timothy Keller fan, so I have a couple of quotes I want to bring up, and I think this really helps us in the discussion of of this Alive series of the spiritual discipline. Timothy Keller, he says this about prayer, and I think this really helps. He says, prayer turns theology into experience. Through it, we sense his presence and receive his joy, his love, his peace, and his confidence. And thereby, we are changed in attitude, behavior, and character. And that that is the point that we're trying to bring across this summer, that as we draw nearer to God, especially right now through prayer and learning more about prayer, that we will be changed. Our attitudes will be changed. Our behavior and character will be changed. That is the whole purpose behind spiritual discipline. Um, Timothy Keller has a book out on prayer. I highly recommend it. It is a little, little long-winded, but it's a good book. He also says in this book, he says this quote, The power of our prayers then lies not primarily in our effort and striving or in any technique, but rather in our knowledge of God. I think what has happened in the church, and I, and I run across this, and I, I can probably be accused of it myself, feeling like I need to have the right words. Feeling like <clears throat> I need to say it just so, otherwise God won't hear me. 
feeling like <clears throat> if I recite this or almost like I chant something, I will, I will, I will get closer to God. And that's not what the Word is teaching us. In Romans um, chapter 8, and you guys can turn there. If you ever want to do a study on prayer, Romans 8 is great. Um, but let me, before I even go in there, let me, let me just finish this up. John, John Calvin argues that you may know a lot about God, but you don't truly know God until the knowledge of what he has done for you in Jesus Christ has changed the fundamental structure of your heart. Let me read that again. John Calvin argues that you may know a lot about God, but you don't truly know God until the knowledge of what he has done for you in Jesus Christ has changed the fundamental structure of your heart. So, it is not just about what we say or how we say it, right? It is about our relationship with God through Christ. Both in the book of Matthew and the book of Romans, we find out that God tells us he knows what we need before we ask it. He knows what we need before we ask it. And in Romans 8.26, it tells us this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And I don't know about you, but that's, I'm very grateful for that. And if you're a parent, you know what this sounds like. It is something like this. Your kid does something stupid, and you go up and you go, God. Oh. I, I, I just, I don't even know what to say, God. I mean, that, that's kind of where... We, that's the good news here is he hears our heart. He hears our heart. The Holy Spirit interprets for us. God knows what we're asking for before we even ask it. He knows what we need before we ask it. And it's okay to not have the words. At the same time, though, he's also interested in our words. Um, Paul says in Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In other words, he wants our brain engaged. And very often that comes out in words. Okay? So having eloquent prayer life is a good thing. Having a groaning prayer life is a good thing. Okay? Let me give you an example. So, you may not know this, but every first and third Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., the elders meet back here in the room and we pray over the church. We pray over you. We pray over you by name. We pray over each other. We pray for God to work. And let me tell you, at 6 a.m. before the coffee kicks in, oh, God, there's a lot of that prayer going on. If you want to hear eloquent prayer, you need to go and listen to the elder wives when they pray. They have the gift of words. The guys do not. But here's the good news. <laughs> guys are laughing. Here's the good news. God hears both prayers. God hears the groaning prayer, the, the six o'clock in the morning when the coffee hasn't kicked in yet kind of prayer, and he hears the prayer of eloquence. It's a beautiful thing. He hears our heart. Because we can approach God, we have... A, a high priest who's made it right for us to approach him. 
We have a high priest. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, Since then we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the beautiful part. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Some translation says boldly go in front of the throne of grace. This is the God who we serve. We have the permission to boldly go, to groan, (laughs) to use words, to speak. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. In this Alive series, Brian pointed out, and I need to wet my whistle here because dry throat is setting in. Excuse me real quick. So, in, in Matthew, and you guys can flip between Matthew chapter 6 and Romans. Matthew chapter 6 is the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we're going to get into in a minute. I just want to cover this. Brian said and pointed out that Jesus in, in chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, says, when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And I, and I think this is important to bring up. Um, Jesus knew that we will pray. And that makes us go, but what about the atheists? What about the non-believers? Do they pray too? Well, interesting thing. Thanks for asking. In 2004, so 15 years ago, there was a study made. It's a little old study, but it's still good. There was a study made that says that 30% of atheists admit that they pray sometimes. Another study said that 17% of non-believers in God pray regularly. Even though they don't believe, they still pray. So when Jesus says, when you pray, he really means when you pray. You need to align. My question is, how, how, why do these guys who don't believe pray? It doesn't seem to make any sense, right? And Romans chapter 1, Paul is in there, and he's talking about this, uh, verses 19 and 20. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to us, or plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. There is something that cries out in creation, and we all know it. We may not want to admit it, but in creation, there's something that cries out a creator. And even if you're an atheist, and even if you're a non-believer, you still, there's something within you that, that wants you to, you to pray to that creator. And here's the good news. Jesus, Jesus has taught us, is teaching us how to pray, how to approach this creator. So, I am raised Lutheran, so that means we're going to stand and we're going to read together. because I don't want you to fall asleep. That's the main reason. But anyway, so let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, if you are like me, you're going, isn't there something missing there? If you're my vintage, you're going to go, I learned that differently. 
You're probably correct. There's something about for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? That's how we learned it. That's King James Version. So just a little freebie here, just because I can and I have the microphone. The reason why this is not in the ESV, in the NIV, in the NLT, in the newer translations is this. Uh, Since the King James was written, um, there have been older transcripts discovered. Older transcripts of the book, book of Matthew. And in these older transcripts, as a, namely two, as in my understanding stands, uh, this is not part of it. So they call it the doxology of the, of the Lord's Prayer. So even though it is a biblical statement, for thine is the kingdom, the glory, the power, okay? That is all a biblical statement. There are older transcripts found, and it's not in it. That's why when we're reading up here, we're going off the ESV, and it's not there. That was a freebie, no extra charge. You are welcome. Okay, so continuing. Brian has now brought us through this. We're in the series number four, the last series on prayer. Brian brought us through God's agenda, right? So the relationship with our Father, us worshiping because he is hallowed, his lordship, his kingdom, and his will will be done, right? He, last week he taught about God's sufficiency, which is basically our needs, our needs for food and forgiveness. It is the, I think the quote was, it's a child's right to ask. So we need to be able to ask. We go to God, even though he knows our need, we still ask. And we need to come and ask forgiveness. And then we're going to go into, and this is where I'm going to wrap it up, this, this four-part series on prayer. I'm going to go into God's protection. <clears throat> the re, our reality, where we live. We live in a fallen world. So we struggle with temptations, and we have an enemy. And we need God's protection, because the enemy is seeking to kill and destroy, right? So I titled today's talk, The Lord's Prayer, Instructions in How to Live the Christian Life. And I will be at fault if I didn't pray right now, because it's a sermon on prayer, if nothing else. Let's pray, people. Heavenly Father, I just come to you. Thank you for this opportunity to, to dive into your word. Lord, as, as I am at this moment in time being your mouthpiece, I just pray, pray that you hide me behind your cross, that what is of you will be heard and speak to people's hearts, and what is of me will be removed. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, as we dive into your prayer, grant us wisdom, grant us insight. And Lord, draw us closer so that our attitudes and behaviors change to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you, you can hang along because we're going to stick in Matthew, a little bit of visits in Romans, like I said earlier. Um, as we dive into the Lord's Prayer in, in verse 9 of chapter 6 of Matthew, and, and, it, and it starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I did a little bit of research the word hallowed is, is fascinating. Um, most translations have kept the word hallowed because there is no other word to replace it. Um, the NLT, I think, tried with holy. And it, it is correct. Hallowed is holy, but it's so much more than just holy. And as we dive into this, I, I, I want to pick that apart. Um, I, I did a little research, found a thesaurus that gave, gave us some good. The dictionary app is work, used a lot in my phone because I'm a foreigner. Okay, so I like to pick apart words. So hallowed, here's the words that came up with hallowed that I thought was, was cool. Okay, 
holy, sacred, divine, enshrined, honored, sanctified, inviolable, and sacrosanct. I did good till I got to inviolable and sacrosanct. Okay, I'm going, hmm. Not quite, you know. Uh, so I need to pick them apart a little further. <clears throat> and I think this will help us. It helped me, so I'm hoping it will help you too. So thank you for showing up. Inviolable, okay? Prohibiting violation, secure from destruction, violence, infringement, or desecration. Incapable of being violated, incorruptible, unassailable. I just want to put the word perfect. Hallowed be your name. God, you are perfect. I cannot corrupt you. I cannot defile you. Sacrosanct, extremely sacred or inviolable. There it is again. Not to be entered or trespassed upon. And this is key here. Above or beyond criticism, change, or interference. So when we say, hallowed be your name, what we are saying, God, you are perfect. We cannot ruin you. Very often, <clears throat> what happens is that we look at purity as something that can be defiled. So, for example, if I bring up a gallon of distilled water up on the platform here and I stick my finger in it, the water is no longer distilled because my dirty finger is in it, right? So I have defiled it. But see, when we talk in the purity of God, it is so pure that I cannot defile it. The opposite happens, okay? When I come in unclean to God, I will not corrupt him. His pure power is awesome. And if we read in the Old Testament, we find out if you entered into the Holy of Holies unclean, you would cease to exist. Leviticus chapter 16. Now, it's a history lesson here. Leviticus chapter 16, <clears throat> in the beginning there, God is speaking to Moses uh, about Aaron and what Aaron needs to do. What has happened is Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is the high priest. His sons were also supposed to be priests, but two of his sons didn't follow the procedures right, and their sinfulness crossed paths with God's holiness, and they died. Okay, this is kind of, huh? We were talking, taking up on prayer, Tobe? Come on. We'll get there, okay? Hang in with me here. So, what happened, what we expressed is for, for a high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies... He has to go through a purification process. And this is not some, you know, wash the soap and water, whoo, I'm good to go kind of thing. It is, it is it's, it's, you have to abstain from certain things for a period of time. There is a, a cleansing, an actual bath, okay? There are special linen clothing to be worn. There are sacrifices, and not just a pigeon. We're talking a bull here, an oxen, okay? There is some serious purification that has to happen so that the high priest can enter into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is kept and the presence of God is. Not so that he won't defi defile God, but because so he can enter and be near the holiness, the hallowedness, the sacrosanct Father. 
okay? What happened is, if we, if we do our history even better and go back to Genesis, in the beginning, before sin entered, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. We coexisted side by side. That was possible. And then sin entered into the world, and sin cannot exist, cannot coexist with pure perfection. Because pure perfection will wipe out the sin, the sinner. So, how does God then come to a point where he can come back to walking with us in the garden? He had a plan. And this is the beautiful thing. Every time you hear a message in church, this better be part of it. There's better be Jesus in there, okay? Because here's the thing. What happened was he had a plan. The plan was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ, man who knew, knew no sin, died for sinners. He purified it once and for all. This is the good news. This is the exciting news. Because when he took upon himself the sins of the world on the cross, he made it so we don't have to go through a purification process to enter the Holy of Holies. His sacrifice was good enough for all of us, for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Matthew 27 says that when Christ hung on the cross and he breathed his last and said, It is finished. It says that the veil was torn between the Holy of Holies and the temple, or the temple, from top to bottom. Okay, veil is not a good word there, I'm just saying. Okay, because I see like a curtain, like a t-shirt fabric, I can rip it, piece of cake. No, it's a tapestry. Imagine, you know, an area rug. Have you ever tried to tear an area rug? Only it's like a couple of feet thick. Because... The separation, my understanding of it, is the separation between the Holy of Holies and the temple was th- this thick tapestry that kept you from accidentally stumbling into the Holy of Holies and going poof, gone, right? So what happened here is the tapestry, as Christ died, as a sacrifice was made, God said, yes, we can now be together again. And he tore it, opened up the Holy of Holies so that we can approach him once again. This is beautiful, people. This is awesome. So, let's turn um, to Romans chapter 8. And I can't read that. That's too small. I'm turning around. Romans chapter 8, verses 1. It says this, 1 through 4. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we understand the sacrifice when Christ said it is finished, the tapestry was tore, the Holy of Holies was open for all. If we understand that, there's no condemnation. We can approach God. This is the, the, the Hebrew scripture I just read. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Hang a right in Romans 8. Continue. Here it's get exciting, right? Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But, here's the good news, guys. 
but you have received the spirit of, us, of adoptions of, as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father, Daddy, right? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Galatians chapter 4, same thing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, firstborn sons, mind you, that means we get it all, just in case you're wondering about that. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Daddy, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Good news. Boy, we struggle with this. We have a hard time accepting this. So when when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, when you pray, pray, our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? We're crying, Daddy. We, we've, we've been given the opportunity to approach him like, Daddy. And, and I know some of us here, some of you here, struggle because your dad stunk. He was not a good dad. So when we hear God being the father, we go, ooh, my dad. And, and we kind of put our earthly father's picture over the face of God. No, God is hallowed. He is sacred. He is holy. He is omnipotent. He is perfect. He is all of these things, right? So we struggle. We struggle accepting being a child. We view our relationship with God as more of a business agreement. Because here's the thing, as a child, and I love this picture of a child being thrown in the air by his dad. Because if you've ever seen that, you throw a kid in the air, and the, dad has, the, the kid has reckless abandon. He's like, higher. Throw me higher. And the smile, if he didn't have ears, his smile will go all the way around. And mom is freaking out over there, right? And you are throwing the kid up, and the kid has none fear because dad's going to catch him, right? Here's the thing. Our father, our Abba father, our daddy is perfect. We can completely trust him. But we struggle because we tend to into a business agreement in prayer. In a business agreement, Timothy Keller calls this being a tenant. We don't live in the house because we're a child. We live in the house because we rent the room. It's a business agreement. See, a business agreement sounds something like this. Because of what you will do or what you did, I will fill in the blank. Or the other way around, God, I did... So therefore, you should. You ought to. You, you must. So it is a because of what you did, I will do. That's a business agreement. Whereas a child, a family, is because of who you are, I will. And we can say that because God is perfect. He's the father of the perfect family. Because of who you are, I will. What ends up happening if we're living as a tenant 
is we're struggling one way or the other. One way is we, we can become arrogant, which is I paid my rent, I'm good. All y'all, you didn't pay your rent. You're a sinner, right? You're a sinner. You didn't pay your rent. So we become arrogant. And then, hey, God, I paid my rent, so therefore you need to crank up the air conditioning, right? So we end up there. Or we're the absolute opposite. We know we didn't pay our rent, so we have shame and fear. And we're like, we're in the living room, and, and God is coming in, and the rest of the family, and we go hide in the corner hoping that God won't see us because he will know we didn't pay our rent, and he will kick us out. That's a business agreement. But that's not what we are. We are children. Children don't pay rent. Some of us parents wish they would, but they don't. Okay? Children don't pay rent. So in this instruction of how to live the Christian life, we need to understand that God is our perfect, all-knowing daddy. So when we approach him, and approach him and say, our father, we say, daddy, you are perfect. You are hallowed. Your will, your kingdom, it will happen. We know it. We trust you because we are your children. We are your children. This is the God's agenda that Brian was talking about. The relationship, he's our daddy. Our worship, we know he's perfect. He's our perfect daddy. Lordship, we know his will be, will be done. His kingdom will come. The question is, am I following that as a child or as a tenant? The next part of learning how to live as a Christian through the Lord's prayer is being real. If we come to the conclusion that God is hallowed, that God is omnipotent, that God is all these powerful things, all-knowing being one of them, let's be real. Right? Let's be real because he knows it already. I don't know what it is about us. We think we can hide it. I, I do this. I don't know about you. But, you know, let's be real. And here's the beautiful thing about being a kid Kids are allowed to ask annoying questions. Dad, are we there yet? Right? No, son, we're in the middle of Utah. You see nothing but interstate. Do you think we're there yet? Right? But he's a kid. He's allowed to ask. We're kids. We're allowed to ask annoying questions. It is a wonderful thing. Not only are we allowed to, we are encouraged to. In Luke 11, which is the other place in the Gospels where the Lord's Prayer is mentioned, Christ follows up with this, and I just, I love this. In verse 5, he continues, he says to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. And Jesus continues, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because in other translations, it's a shamelessness. Be shameless. I mean, if this isn't annoying, I don't know what is. Zach lived next door to me. If he comes knocking on the door and goes, hey, Toba, I want bread at midnight, I'm going to go, go pound sand. 
right? I don't, leave me alone. But see, God invites this. It's a, it's a right for a kid to be annoying. We can come to him anytime, right? In, in Luke 18, we hear the story of the persistent widow. She wants justice. She goes to the judge, who is not very just, and asks for justice. Oh, say that three times fast. So, you know, she, she, because of her persistence, the judge finally says, fine, I will give you justice. God is inviting us. He already knows our needs. We know this. But he still says, come and ask for your daily bread. Be persistent. Be annoying. Wow. He's so much better parent than I ever will be. Okay? Be annoying. Kids are allowed to ask annoying questions. Bug him. We continue in God's sufficiency. He knows what we need, and he will give it to us. We are, we are just to ask. And then we continue, and he says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I was thinking about this. Brian talked about this last week, and I was thinking about this. And stuff. I mean, he, he, he is all-knowing. He already knows my sin. Do I really have to come and ask forgiveness again? I mean, he knows he's already offered me forgiveness. Can we just have a blanket statement and be done with it? It's kind of embarrassing. But I believe this is what he's saying. He says, be real with who you are. Be real with your sinfulness. See, I think, okay, I'm just going to speak for me. I have a tendency to lie to myself. Brian was talking about the HOA, how we have a love-hate relationship with a homeowner's association. And the reason we have a love-hate relationship with a homeowner's association is this. We love the fact that the homeowner's association keeps the neighbors in line. We hate the fact that they keep us in line. That's what it boils down to. My, and, and here's how we lie to ourselves, right? Brian's talking about having a couple of weeds growing up in the yard. He gets a picture of the said weeds mailed to him, said, remove weeds or pay fine, and then remove weeds, right? What our tendency, what my tendency is, is, oh my gosh, really? Did you see those weeds? They're like, they superimpose those in the picture. I'm not even sure they're my weeds. I think they're bobs down the street, right? We lie to ourselves because we tend to think our sinful weeds are not as big as our neighbor's sinful weeds. And what Christ is saying here, come, be real, ask for forgiveness, and forgive others. And I think here's the reason why we need to do this. Our tendency, I think, within the church is that after we've been here a while, we kind of get to feel like we haven't committed a major sin in years. We kind of start forgetting our sinfulness, and pretty soon this judgmental thing comes up. And we start judging people's clothing. We start judging the songs we sing. We start judging, and on and on it goes. But here's the thing, what, what Jesus is saying here, come and ask forgiveness. Be real what your sin is. Just before cause you put it in a prayer request does not remove the fact that it's gossip. Right? We need to be real. What is our sin? What is our struggle? Because when we are aware of what our sin and our struggle is, it will be so much easier to forgive our brother. So when we come to God and we say, God, I have to admit my sin here. I was driving down the road heading late for church, I flipped someone into the bird because I was arrogant and he would not go fast enough. Right? God will look at that and go, <laughs> so glad you finally admitted to that. I mean, I saw it. 
but I'm glad you come to me with it. And the reason why I'm so glad that you came to me with it is because it's as stupid as you are. Billy, your brother, he just did something really stupid too, and you're going to need to forgive him. And it'd be much easier for you to forgive him when you remember the sin that you had. Right? So be real. Offer forgiveness. Remember that we are forgiven. But for the grace of God, go I. Right? So remember that we are forgiven. This is God's sufficiency. Our daily bread, it's there. Just ask for it. Forgiveness, it is there. And strength to offer forgiveness is within him. And as we continue down, we get to lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from the evil, from the evil or from the evil one. This one was a little hard for me. I really, it's like, lead us not into temptation, God. I'm not, I'm not quite following. Brian and I even talked about it. And I was going down a rabbit trail, and pretty soon I was praying, and, and I felt like God, through some conversations and some study, revealed some things to me, what he meant by this. Tell Daddy your struggles. He wants to protect you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses, verses 7 through 9, is a beautiful example of this. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die, the the author says. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what the author here is saying What the author here is saying is, I struggle, God. I I think that if if I get rich, if I get too much, I'm going to take all the honor and glory. And I will end up denying you. Please, Lord, that that is my weakness. Don't, Don't tempt me there. Don't let the enemy get a foothold here. And Lord, while you're at it, I am not above stealing. So if, if I am too poor and don't have food on my table, I will steal and profane your name. So, Lord, keep me from, from my temptations. Keep me from my struggles. I was going, talking to one. I have, I have a bunch of, I, I call them adopted nieces and nephews. That means that I, I love them as they were my own, but they're really not biological, but that's okay. And I was talking to one of my nieces, <clears throat> and she came to faith here a couple of years ago. And she lives in an area where um, the shack-up culture is huge. She lives in a pretty large city. And in this city, people don't get married anymore. They just move in together. And, and relationships get physical long before, I mean, before they even move in together. And she said, you know, Toba, I, I really struggle. I really struggle because... I'm afraid that God, you know, he's going to grant me a man, but I'm afraid that in order to keep that man, I will give in. In order to keep that man, I I will be okay with living together. In order to keep that man, I'll be okay with getting physical before we're married. And that's dawned on me. That that, that is leading me out into temptation, Lord. And I encourage her to pray that and say, admit your weakness. Tell daddy your struggles. 
He wants to protect you. He's not surprised. Don't have to pretend like he doesn't exist. He already knows. If your struggle is lying and stealing, God, don't put me in a situation where, where, that will be, that, where I will be tempted. Strengthen me. Keep the enemy away. If your problem is promiscuity, Lord, don't, don't place me in that situation. In my niece's case, Lord, if and when you bring a man to me, make him strong because I am weak. Right? So, that is the protection. God's protection is sufficient. So, as we wrap up here, I don't know where you are. This has been a wake-up for me. I don't know if you view yourself and your relationship with God as that of a tenant or that's a, that of his child. I don't know if you're like me and struggle with lying to yourself about the size of your weeds, of your sinfulness. I don't know. But I know, this, is, this I do know, we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And we can approach him boldly. And he is not surprised. He knows already. And he has open arms ready to catch you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you do business in our hearts. That as we've gone through this Lord's Prayer over four weeks here, Lord, um, that we are able to surrender to you in a new way, to live this Christian life in a way of joy that comes from being your child. That we're able to live this, this life in a way that is real with you because you are not surprised. So we know that all that we have, all that we need comes from you. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.